Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Happy 4th of July, as I missed you guys last Sunday, but was truly blessed by the podcast and by the YouTube feed and, 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 uh, and by the word that was given by one of our bishops, Pastor Javier Acosta, and, and, and what a blessing that was. Um, today, what I want to do is I want to, like I just prayed, I want to continue on the book of Nahum chapter 2 on this minor prophet, as we would call him um, in the Old Testament. It, these, these, these are moments, good moments to take notes, to open up your Bibles, to, to write on your Bibles, highlight your Bibles, and, and to write on your notebooks. We're going to go verse by verse on, through this exposit uh, study and, um, and really see what, what God's going to speak to us as I believe God was really pouring the book of Nahum uh, into my heart and to then share it to you as we meet on Sunday. So we're in chapter 2. We took a one-week break from chapter 1 to chapter 2. So if you're listening today and if you're here today and if you missed chapter 1, my advice is to go to uh, two podcasts to go and go to Nahum chapter 1 uh, and, and go back and, and listen to that message as it's going to continue to flow into uh, chapter 2. And um, today's message, if I were to title this chapter or where, where I want to get to, if I want to title it anything, I would title it The Enemy of Our Enemies. And um, we'll see where we go with that title, The Enemy of Our Enemies. Um, you know, we could learn a lot from this book. And even from this chapter, and, and as we get to chapter 3 as well, and hopefully next week. But we can learn a lot from what happened to what we've learned is the Assyrian Empire. And to its great capital, as we learned two weeks ago, which is Nineveh. And I think that if you open up your heart, your mind, I think you'll be truly blessed and you'll see that there's a lot to learn from the last message to this one. I want to kind of give you a little background and a a little summary here just in case we've forgotten. And I love how this commentary puts it. It says about 100 years before this prophecy, the prophecy of Nahum, the northern kingdom, which we know would be the ten tribes of Israel, had fallen to Assyria. We have to remember that the nor- Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah. The northern kingdom was made up of uh, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom was made up of two tribes. Till today, those ten tribes supposedly are missing. Um, and in those ten tribes of Israel, they had fallen to um, Assyria. And these people were carried away uh, by um, the Assyrian Empire as captives. And their land was occupied by foreigners. And we know what happens when these foreigners occupy this land. False worship, worship of other gods. Um, temples are being built that are not the house of Yahweh, the house of God. So we know that God is definitely not pleased as what was his land. And um, very, very important that we know what's happening here as we get into uh, this. Um, so, so there was foreigners that were filling this area up. And you had kings like Manasseh and Amon and Josiah. Um, the, the southern kingdom of Judah now had to do something. They had to pay tribute 
uh, to keep Assyria from invading it. I want you to think about that for a moment. You are the southern kingdom, what's left of Israel, and you need to give, let's say, weekly or monthly money, and you need to give out of your goods to the Assyrian Empire, your own enemy. You had to give to your enemy so that your enemy would not conquer you as it did to the northern kingdom. Think about the fear that they lived, that every off so often they had to give to the Assyrian Empire so that it would not cause them to invade their land. Think about living with that pressure. Imagine if, our, if we were constantly giving to another nation because if we stop giving, we fear that they're going to conquer us and destroy us, kill us, and destroy our land. That's, that's, that's the, how tense it was during this moment as we read this prophecy in the southern kingdom through um, Assyria Empire and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And now this alliance with Assyria affected the southern kingdom, Judah. It affected them politically, but it also affected them spiritually uh, because we know that these witchcraft and sorcerers and stuff like that began to occupy the southern kingdom, and Judah would just open up its doors because of fear um, through this empire and of this empire. And a lot of pagan religions uh, became popular in Judah when only one, when there should have been one God and one temple and one faith, now they were welcoming um, all of this evil from the Assyrian Empire. And um, it, was, it, it was time that the Lord would say enough. And he was going to rise up another nation like the Babylonians now. And Babylon was going to go ahead and attack and, and make an alliance with the Medes and attack Assyria and wipe them away pretty much from the earth forever. And God was going to use the Babylonian Empire now as an instrument to destroy the powerful Assyrian Empire. And, and that's kind of where we're at. And that's very important. Why is that important? Because Nahum is given a word. Nahum's word is to be spoken to the empire of Assyria and to the people of Judah. If you remember two weeks ago, why is this important though? Because it is the only prophetic word, prophecy, that is made into a book in our Bible. It is a very important prophecy though not many people read it. Not many people understand it when they read it. But we could learn a lot from it. And I want to just kind of surf through it, dive into it, and see what God speaks to us today. Amen? Nahum chapter 2. We're going to start off in verse 1. And um, as we read these verses, open up your hearts. Uh, the, the time has come uh, for them to encounter the wrath of God uh, after centuries of power and of favor, success, century of God's grace. And, and now, it's, now it's going to end. Now the time is, is done for them. So let's kind of get into this and, and let's see what God speaks to us. It says in verse 1, uh, chapter 2, the book of Nahum. It says, He who scatters has come up before your face. He says, Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, and fortify your power mightily. I, I love how, how the transition from, from chapter 1 Going into chapter 2, as it's written or if it's, as it's prophesied, we have to remember, it's not prophesied with chapters and verses. It's prophesied as one word that later on we give it chapter and verses as coordinates to know what we're talking about. But the transition of what he's talking about, the peace 
um, over Judah, and, 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 and he's talking about in chapter 1 what he's going to do to the Assyria, the promise for Judah, and, and, and as he continues to put his face against um, Assyria and Nineveh, he says this, he who scatters has come up before your face. It's almost a confrontation. It's, it's, it's time for them to answer to the Lord. It's time for them to be confronted by God. And as it's time to be confronted by the Lord, the, the, the word that is said to them, he says, Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. This is an interesting verse as we dive into this chapter because here we are in verse 1 and Nahum the comforter comes with these words that seem to have no comfort for the Assyrians because it was time, it was comfort for Judah now and it was a judgment for the enemy of God's people. And we know that we're going to live in a day where God is going to bring forth uh, the promise to his people and yet he brings forth judgment to the enemy of his people. We see it in the book of Revelation. We, we see it all over and we're living in a very interesting time where, where we don't know really what could happen. I mean, in a year from now, everything could get better and we go back to our normal ways or it cannot. It could be very easily where this stuff kind of makes sense in the days that we're living in where God says, now is where I will unleash the promise to my people and I will bring judgment against the enemy of my people. It's all over the Bible. It's all over Scripture. And in this verse, verse 1, here is Nahum, if you remember two weeks ago, full of comfort, the comforter, and he tells them, he who scatters has come up before your face. What he's saying was, yes, there's an alliance. Yes, there's this army. There is this agreement between these two nations, between these two groups of people, the Medes and the Babylonians, and they're going to attack you, Nineveh. And here is Assyria, the attacker, and what is Nahum telling the attacker? Now it's your turn to be attacked. He's telling the oppressor that now it's their turn, Assyria, you now will be oppressed. And I want us to make sure that we are reminded of this. And you should write this down and you should keep this in your heart. The destroyer will one day himself be destroyed. We always ask and we say, my God, you know, why did my father have to pass away from this? And why did my mom have to go through that? And why did my brother die in such a tragic... And we, we, we deal with deaths and we deal with sicknesses. And all of that is the work of sin and the work of the destroyer. The destroyer himself is the... There's a promise. Will one day be forever destroyed. And, and Nahum, the prophet, is, 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 is giving this judgment that, that it's time for you now, Assyria. And what does he tell them? Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. You know what he's telling them? Dress for battle. Dress for battle. Fortify your power. He, he, what, he's, what he means by that is collect. Collect all of your strength. What, what is he telling them? It's time to face God. It's time to face him. Assyria, the great scatterer, will now be scattered itself. Think about this. They would go into nations like the ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they would kill and rape and 
do her uh, burn down and take all the riches from the land, and they would grab the remaining few and they would take them back as captives and as slaves back to their land. And then they would occupy and bring evil to the land that which they just conquered. Think, think about that for a moment. If I just go into your house and, 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 we, and, we, and we do what we just described there. We kill and you rape and you destroy and we take captive. Think about what that means for a nation. Assyria, who was known for scattering, God was going to say, now it's going to be time where I confront and scatter you. These, these are words, and, and, and when he tells them, man the four, watch the road, strengthen yourself, dress for battle, collect all your strength. You know, when, when this prophecy is given, I, I want us to know this. It is almost a form of, of mockery. It's a form of telling the Assyrians, uh, laughing at them, basically, laughing in their faces. And, and it's, it's using sarcasm. Because what Nahum and what God wants to speak to Nahum is this, that all the efforts of the Assyrians, eventually they're going to fall short. They're going to fall short. They're going to be what we would call futile in the face of the judgment of God. And I look at this scripture and I see the times that we're living in and I say all the efforts of this world, the governments of this world, the slap to God's face, all of it will one day fall short before the power of God. All of it. And I could rest in that assurance. That it all will fall before the face of his great judgment. What, what is Nahum saying? That Nineveh and its leaders were, were soon going to learn that they would not be able to protect themselves. They would not be able to protect themselves from what we would know to be the wrath of God. The, the enemies of God's people will be dealt with. Judah had an enemy, and at this moment it was Assyria. Judah was God's covenant people, and if God's people had an enemy, then God said they became my enemy, and God was going to deal with his children's enemies. And, and God was going to confront them, and God was going to deal with this matter. I love that in Psalm 110, you should write this verse down. In, in Psalm 110, verse 1, David writes, and actually it's such an important verse that Paul, in the New Testament, quotes um, Psalm 110, verse 1. He actually quotes it, if you're taking notes, in Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. And this is what David says that, the Apostle Paul quotes later, Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How many of us have heard that verse before? God the Father said to God the Son, God the Father said to God the Son, Sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool. I heard one preacher say this week, whatever God is not carrying on his shoulders will one day be put under his feet. If it's not the burden that's on his shoulders, then it's going to be the enemies under his feet that will be defeated. I thank the Lord that I am part of his covenant people and I stand on the shoulders of God, not under the feet of God. Think about what that means for the believer. Whatever is not on his shoulder will one day be under his feet. And when, when David says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, 
the enemy, the enemies that have scattered in our lives. Think about this. We, we look at Assyria and we look at Judah. We look at Jesus' ministry. We, we look at today's day, our very own personal lives. Think about enemies in your life. I know when I use the word enemy, you automatically think of Lucifer, Satan, this, 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 this being. And, and yes, he's real. And demonic beings are real. And angels are real. And fallen angels are real. The, the, the spiritual realm is real. And, and all of those things are enemies. Yes, amen. But think about the enemies in our lives. The things that have grown to become enemies. Sometimes our greatest enemy is something that was meant to be good in our lives. And we've turned it to become bad. Money was given to us for good. But the love of money can be turned for our bad and could really bring disaster and destruction. And that which is to be our friend now becomes our enemy like money. The enemy and the enemies in your lives, think about those things that have scattered in our lives. Uh, uh, that's what God wants to deal with because what he's calling us, his people, is to have authority. And we have and we need to know what the scripture teaches as believers. And this is what Judah needed to believe. And this is what we need to believe, that we have authority in Christ. That Judah was in the land that was promised to their ancestors. Like, this is the land that was given to our father Abraham. And the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, they, they were willing to just give it away. Because they turned their backs on the living God. Because they didn't fight for their faith. They did not fight for their temple. They did not fight for the fire that consumed them. But instead, they built false temples and began to worship pagan gods and, and so on and so forth. And because of that, the ten tribes scattered and the northern kingdom would no longer exist forever. And now it was the last chance for the southern kingdom. Will you do the same thing that the northern kingdom would do? Or will you bow down and recognize that in me, your God, you have authority over enemies? And that's what he's speaking to us, that we have authority in Christ. Well, what do we have authority to do? To loosen, to bind. Scripture is so clear on that, that we have authority in Christ to bind and to loose, to begin to put the works of the enemy under our feet, instead of allowing him, allowing them, allowing it to control your life and have control over your life. It's the person that says, well, this is my continual weakness. And we say, well, when will that weakness be under your feet? Well, this is my continual, where's the authority in Christ? The authority in Christ that allows us to have control over what we've allowed to have control over us. This sarcasm, this mockery towards the enemies of the Lord was very real. Man, the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Dress for battle. Fortify your power mightily. Collect all your strength. It was a serious call, but it was done in laughter. It's God looking at his enemies and says, come on, <laughs> come and fight me and smiles at them. 
When, when, you, when you go to battle, when you get in the ring, you're supposed to have a serious face. You're supposed to be zoned in. But the enemies stand before God and they are no match for God. He looks at them and mocks at them. And he says, in this fight that we're about to have, the word has already been given. You remain under my feet. It's a laughter to God. You know, there was once a great angel that stood before the presence of the Lord. Did you guys know that? His wings were massive. And he would cover the presence of God. He was beautiful. He was a beautiful, one of the most beautiful angels in glory. He was gifted in worship. He had legions of angels under his command that would sing the songs that he would write. That would play the notes that he would write. And he orchestrated the great worship before God, Yahweh. And his wings would cover the glory of Yahweh. And he would stand before the fiery stones of the throne room. He would stand before the presence of God and worship God. And his angels under his command would worship God. And one day, that angel said, I could be like this God. I, I, I could have my throne higher than his. I could set myself greater than him. Instantly, when that entered his heart, Jesus says in the New Testament, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Immediately, he became an enemy of God because he turned his heart against God. Here is this massive, ferocious, powerful ark angel with angels that, that he has command over. And, and, and yet he, we look at him as he's the enemy of God. He's not the enemy of God. Because in the last days when Lucifer gets into a battle, God laughs and says, even he is not a fight for me. And we've learned in this church, in our church, that he has to send Michael to go and take care of Lucifer. I'll send one of my own unique beings to destroy him because you're my created being. You're no threat to me. We make a threat to us. We make a threat to us that which God laughs at and says will never become a threat to him. When did we put the enemy in such high position when we took God out of his? Man, this is serious because no fallen angel is ever God. God sits on his throne. And on his right hand, Jesus Christ our Lord sits next to him. And what are all the other angels doing? Singing songs to adore them <laughs> and to worship them. Since when do we give the enemy such a throne in our lives? We have authority. Some people say, you know, you shouldn't talk about demons and you shouldn't talk about angels like that. You know, you need to learn how to respect. I don't have to respect Jack. I don't have to, I don't have to be careful with any of that. The reality is what? In Christ, we have authority over the demonic, over the, over the enemies of God, over the enemies that God fights over us for. And here is the sarcasm towards 
the enemies of Judah. And it reminds me of Elijah in the Old Testament versus the prophets of Baal. He did the same thing because he knew his authority in God. If you remember Elijah, it was time to go with the prophets of Baal and cut up their altar and then put the, the bull on the altar, the offering, and whoever would rain down with fire and consume the altar, then that was the true and living God. And the prophets of Baal tried hours and hours and hours, cut themselves, sang a silly song, and danced a foolish dance. And yet their God would not answer. And then, then Elijah said, I want everyone to come to me now. He says, drench it not one time, two times, three times, that it all covered with water. And fire consumed it. And the children of Israel bowed down and worshipped Elijah's God and repented and confessed that he alone is God. And if you remember, Elijah mocked the enemies. What did he tell them? He says, hey, where's your God? Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's busy in the toilet is actually the way it should be translated. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping and he needs to be awakened. Come on, call on your God. And Elijah mocks them in front of thousands of people. Why? Because he already knew that this battle, that it was already won, that God fights Rome, that my enemies are his enemies. As we shared last week, uh, last time we met in in Nahum chapter 1, and I got into this, we said that at the very best, the enemies of God become comic figures. How many of you remember that? I'm going to read those notes um, from two weeks ago of chapter 9. And this is what I said. I said, who is wise enough? Who is experienced enough and strong enough to fight the, the power of God? No one. At the very best, these enemies of God will be comic figures. Their best plans will be merely a tangle of thorns. Their finest moves will be only the sloppy walk of drunkards. So think about that verse. Think about what's happening here in this passage. Think about how it is applied to your very own life. And all of these enemies in your life, these things that are constantly attacking you, sons and daughters of God, when you are in the presence of the Lord, when you get your identity in Christ, all those things that are oppressing you should become comic figures. A laughstock before the presence of the Lord. Amen? In Psalm chapter 37, verses 12 and 13, it says this. It says, the wicked plot against the just. Love that. The wicked plot against the just. They scheme against the just, the righteous. They gnash at him with their teeth. You ever seen someone gnash with their teeth? That's anger. That's like the depth of anger. When, they're, when they just, they're gnashing with their teeth. It's like almost like a dog does before he attacks. And then look what it says right after that. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. <laughs> I love that. The enemies gnash at me with their teeth, but the Lord laughs because their day is coming. What a, what a strengthening for us today to tell our enemies face to face today, your day is coming. You should write that down. You should, you should put that in your mind that you can look at the things that attack you and that oppress you and you can say, your day is coming. And that you allow the Lord to laugh at those things. What a time, what a time that we are living in and to remind others of the importance of being on the right side with God. This is not the time to gnash at God. This is the time to laugh with God. And man, if our country and our people would just understand that. Let's keep reading because I'll stay there forever. Verse 2 says, For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob. Like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The enemies of God would be and will be destroyed. 
and the people of God will be restored. And, and, and yes, the northern kingdom, we, we, we learned in, in chapter 1, they, they will never return till, till this day, though Israel is, is, has a portion, portion of its land back today, not fully the land that it really belongs to them. But we know today that the ruin of Israel would not last forever. We've been there. We've seen that Israel is being built up again. But Isaiah speaks of this in chapter uh, 4, verse 2. He speaks of verse 2 here. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob. Look what Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 says. We're just studying through the scripture. Isaiah 4, 2, which is a different prophet during a different time, says this. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Isaiah chapter 4, 2 is speaking about Nahum chapter 2, 2. That those who will survive, the Lord will be pride and honor for those of the survivors of the land. The Lord has made Israel an epicenter of sort today. We know that. One of the greatest questions that I asked our tour guide when we were in Israel, and, and the way she answered it was, you know, Israel, we've learned that it's kind of like walking on eggshells here. Any little thing could cause a world war, she tells me. And it's a very important thing because the Lord has made Israel a very vital piece of land till today. And here we are some thousands of years ago and we're still reading about this battle and over this fighting over this land. And what is the promise here through chapter 2 verse 2 through the mouth of God, the heart of God through the prophet Nahum that the Lord is going to restore. Restore and the emptiers have been emptied out. That's it. There will be no more. They will not be able to produce anymore. Look at verse 3. Let's read verse 3 and 4 for a moment. Verse 3 and 4 says this. It says, The shields of his mighty men are made red. Uh, the valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches. The, in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. Verse 4, the chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches, and they run like lightning. I love how, how the, the study Bible of New King James describes verses 3 and 4. I'm going to just quote and read it as they wrote it. It says, these images, they speak of blood, of violence, and of warfare. And Isaiah refers to the custom of the Assyrians that they used to roll up their outer garments in blood to scare their enemy for battle. Imagine that. They would fill themselves with blood and roll up their garments filled with blood right before going into battle. That's actually found in Isaiah chapter 9, 5. And they would do this to strike terror, the Assyrians, to strike terror in the hearts of their opponents. And here, the tables would be turned while others have shields, chariots, and spears, the, the people of Nineveh, what does the prophet say? Would be bathed in blood, their own blood. You're going to be covered in blood. Not the blood of your enemies, Assyria. You're going to be covered in your own blood. What is, the, what is that significant for? You are the cause of your own death. I will not take the blame for this. Many people live in this land saying, well, God caused this and God allowed that. And don't take responsibility for themselves to recognize I covered myself with my own blood. 
So he says, you will be covered not with anyone else's blood, but your blood. Why? Because you're giving an account to your very own deeds. I've given you centuries of grace and warnings to repent and to turn to me. But you've continued to defy my word. You've continued to defy the promised land that I've given to my children. And because of that, you're going to be covered with your blood. You will give account to your own life. And, and we need to hear that. People in this world need to hear that. They, they need to give account to their own lives. Verse 5 says this. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls. And the defense is prepared. So, so here is the Assyrian king and the armies. And what do they hear? They hear the prophets say, we're going to be covered in our own blood. There's a battle. There's this thing that we're being called to. So what does the king of Assyria do? He calls all of his best troops. He calls them all in. And he says this, they stumble in their walk. All of their efforts, the enemy, we're talking about the enemy of God's people. All of their efforts are falling, are stumbling before, before the skill and the face of their attackers. I, I love uh, when the psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 55, verse 9. I don't know if you've ever read this passage. Psalm 55 is a, is a, is a beautiful psalm. But in verse 9, he says, Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. I've, I've prayed this prayer many times, not exactly word for word as the psalmist wrote it. But how many of you have prayed, Lord, I want you to frustrate and confuse the plans that have come against me. I want you to help me to be victorious over these things. The psalmist, and, and as David writes this in his penmanship, confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. The word frustrate there, it actually means to divide. It means to split. And he knew as he prayed, Lord, confuse them and frustrate them. He knew that a divided camp would never experience victory. So, Lord, if you confuse and you split, then the victory will belong to us. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. I'm going to read. I'm going to continue to read from that chapter. I'm going to skip some verses. Let's go to verse 15 um, of Psalm 55 and look how it relates to verses 1 through 5 of Nahum chapter 2. Verse 15 of Psalm 55. I'm going to read all the way to 19. Just follow with me. It says, Let death... Stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. For evil makes its home within them. Verse 16, but I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress. And the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. And verse 19, God who has ruled forever will hear me and will humble them. Exactly what's happening here in Judah, in Nineveh, in the empire of Assyria. And if you remember in chapter 1, verse 8, Nahum prophesied, he says, with an overflowing flood, he's going to make an utter end of this place of Nineveh. God's going to bring forth a flood. You know, I'm going to read this verse for a moment. Look at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 8, Nahum says there's going to be an overflowing flood. 
And when this overflowing flood hits, it's going to destroy Nineveh. Remember that. That was last chapter. But right now in verse 6, look what he says. The gates of the rivers are opened. There's the flood. And the palace is dissolved. The, the destruction of Nineveh, when, when you study it, is believed to have taken place when the attackers entered the cities through what we, be, what we learned two weeks ago, the waterways that Nineveh had. These attackers, what they did was they flooded the waterways. And the attack came during flood time. When the rivers undermined the walls and the defenses of the city, they took advantage of the floodwaters. And, and if you study Nineveh and you study this area, archaeologists have found evidence of flood debris that may be associated with the destruction of that city. So when you hear Nahum say there's going to be a flood, the attackers came in when that water came rushing into the city and they took advantage of that. And that flood was not just water, but it was also a flood of their enemies that was going to find attacked them until today archaeologists believe that there was a massive flood that took over Nineveh why would there be a flood because the Lord spoke it and the Lord allowed it um, to come to be look at verse 7 and 8 as we get now to the end half of this and I get to what I'm going to close up with it says it is decreed she shall be led away captive, she shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves, beating their breast. Verse 8, though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Love this. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. I want you to listen to the wordage there because as... As you read this, I want you to know this. God desires for us, and we believe and we know and we study that we are his, right? We are his covenant people. And he desires for us to have dominion, as we've said, and to have authority on this earth. Uh, something that I feel many of us struggle and grasp to live out. I, I love in the New Testament, and we've spoken about this so often, when Paul is walking in the island and, and the poisonous snake bites him. Remember that story? And as the poisonous snake bites him, Paul does not fall over and die. Paul doesn't even scream, oh my God, I, the poison, I'm, I'm going to die. Science tells me that I'm going to die. This is a poisonous snake. If it attacked me, I'm dead. No, instead, what Paul does is he looks at that which was attacked him to kill him, and he shakes it off, it says. He shakes the snake off, and he does not collapse. Within minutes, he should have collapsed. The, 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 the people of this land look at him and they say, oh my God, he's one of our gods who has come to visit us. And they go to give him offering and to bow down and worship him. And Paul has to say, no, 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 I am not the God that you say I am. And he, has, he introduces them to the true and living God, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that whole island gets saved and receives Jesus Christ. Where their lead, uh, their lead sorcerer and witch ends up there in their deathbed and, and Paul prays for them and heals them as well. I mean, I mean, there's signs, wonders, there's miracles, but yet very important, there's authority and dominion over death, that which was to destroy Paul. Why would Paul be able to live in such a way? Because he recognized I could live on this earth having dominion over the things of this earth because I walk with Jesus. We could go back to the origin. He created man and woman. 
And he gave them the command to be fruitful, to be multiply. But he tells them something very important. He says what? I've given you dominion over, and he describes over everything. The beast of this world, the, the fish, the everything, you have dominion over it. We've studied that, that the fall to Adam and Eve is because they have allowed that which they were called to have dominion over, to have dominion over them, and sin conquered. If they would have continued to have dominion over things, we might have still been living in the garden state. Very important. God desires for us to live in such a way. And here is this nation, as we just read in verse 7 and 8, Assyria, who was known for taking captives, would now be made captive by others. And they cry out in verse 8, Halt! Halt! But no one turns back. What does that mean, no one turns back? No one listens to the shout of their panic. Nineveh is disgraced. Nineveh comes to a point in verse 8 now where Nahum is prophesying and they are humiliated. They're humbled, they're broken, disgraced, and humiliated. And God has confronted them. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, take spoil of silver. Take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. Verse 10, she is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Guys, I'm not just talking about something small. I'm talking about the most powerful empire and nation of its day in an instant is destroyed. It says like Rome was built over centuries, but yet was destroyed in one day. Assyria over centuries was built with power, but in one moment would be destroyed. And I want us all to know that eventually the enemies of God will all be left empty. God will deal with them and all will be left empty. There is so much, you know, you, you, you look at today and we look at our own personal lives and there's so much that's being done in today's world. And we'll get, uh, we won't get into the details, but there's so much going on in the places of power. There's so much evil and harm going on in governments of this land. And lots of it is out in the open, but much of it is hidden that we can't see and we don't hear about. And what is happening behind our backs is this. Listen, guys, there's lies, there's crimes, and there's the deepest points of evil that is happening in our land today. But our Lord, as we read through the armies and, and through the empire of Assyria, our Lord will deal with all of those things. And it says that he leaves our enemies empty. He will leave the sin, the crime, and the death in the heart of man. He will leave them with all of their plans empty. Though they thought that they were prosperous and very rich. God will show them, no, before my presence, I leave you empty. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, 7, do not be misled. Many people are being misled today. And Paul warns us and says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Do not be misled. But back to verse 9 and 10. 
Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure, wealth of every desirable price. She's empty, desolate, waste. The heart melts, the knees shake. Much pain is in every side. There's no hope anywhere in Assyria or in Nineveh. The heart melts, the knees shake. Much pain on every side. And all of their faces are drained with color. Nineveh was beautiful. We see in verse 8, it says it was like a pool of water. With all of her waterways neatly designed, now God has pulled the plug. Has pulled the plug. Uh, my, my children have this, during this whole COVID thing, we recognize the importance of having a pool, and we don't have one. So we, how many of us have built these inflatable pools for our children now in our backyards? And my God, it takes time when you first do it for the first time because you have to put all the air into it. And once you put all the air into it, then you got to put all the water into it. And it takes a while, you know, like, when is it done? It's, done? it's not done yet. It's getting filled. When is it done? It's not done yet. It's going to get built up. When is it done? It's not done yet. It's getting built up. It's getting built up. Look at it. The water's almost there. It's getting built up. It's getting built up. To build it up, it takes time. Then they play with it. Sometimes it's hours. Sometimes it's like 10 minutes. And you're like, no. This took a long time to be built up. There's no way that you could just play in there for 10 minutes. You're going to stay here for hours because it took a long time to build this up. But it's funny because there's this pool that is now built in my backyard. And it took a while to build it. It's not you know, that hard. I'm, maybe I'm, 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 I'm trying to drain the message a little bit here so you could get it. But, but there's this little plug in the bottom of the pool. One little plug. One little plug. And it's filled with water. I can't pick up the pool. It's heavy. It, five of us can't pick it up. It's, it's filled with a lot of water. But there's one little plug. And I unplug it. And all of the resource that took so long to fill it. In an instant, I just unplug it, and all the water starts to leak out of that pool. The beauty of that pool, the laughter that happened in that pool, the celebration, the toys, the jumping in, the smiles, with just one plug, it is no more, and it is taken away. It is taken away. Here in this passage, Nineveh is looked like a beautiful pool. It says in verse 8, a pool of water. With all of her waterways, then the Lord comes and just pulls the plug. We've seen nations, we've seen ministries, we've seen families. Beautiful pools of water. But there was continual sin, continual defiance, continual turning away from the Lord. And all the Lord has to do, and I want everyone that's listening and everyone that's here, all he has to do is just pull the plug. And once he pulls that plug, everything that you thought you lived for, everything that took you years to gain, all of that success, money, riches, fame, power, love, whatever it is, in an instant can be taken away and all it takes is for the Lord's hand to pull the plug that's the power of God and just by the pull of his plug everything drains away if you search the records the ancient records you're going to read about the plunder and the goods that were taken away from Nineveh Nineveh comes to a point where they are exhausted of all treasures no more Finally, it becomes empty. And there's going to be a day where all those things in your life that have continued to oppress you, have continued to conquer you, if you come to him, he will pull the plug on all those things. And that you could live in the place where you say, finally, I'm empty of it, so that he could fully reside and fill this cup.
And maybe you have continual attackers and continual oppressors and continual things that bring you down. And the Lord says, this is the moment. This is the time where I pull the plug. So those things will be no more. How many of you can say amen? There's a huge irony I'm going to ask us as we close up and make my point here. And this is really the heart of all of this today. We're going to read verse 11, 12, and we'll end with 13. Yes, Lord, let it rain. He pulled the plug of heaven. It's falling on us. All right. Look at verse 11 and 12 here. It says, where is the dwelling of the lions? The feeding place of the young lions. Verse 11, where the lion walked, the lioness and lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. So important. Lion, lions, lions. Everyone say lion. Look at verse 12. The lion tore in pieces enough for its cubs. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lioness, filled with caves with prey, and his dens with flesh. This ending of this chapter is so important. Because listen to this. There's irony in this passage here. The irony of Nahum's prophecy, this whole picture, this figure of a lion... It was to mock and again the Lord confronting and laughing at the fall of Nineveh. Why would Nahum speak about the lions? Well, first thing you should know is this. The lion was the symbol of the Assyrian Empire. It was their symbol. Their rulers, the Assyrian rulers would actually call themselves the king of beasts. And we know that the king of beasts is the lions. And the city of lions, which was called Nineveh, because it was their capital, so it would be called the city of lions, no longer needed to be feared by anyone. The Lord was dealing with the false lions. The so-called lions, the so-called beast of this earth. Do you know what Peter writes as I close off? I need you all to please pay attention to this. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. He tells us to stay alert. And watch out for your great enemy, the devil, for he prowls around. Guess like what he prowls around like? Like a lion, just like Assyria. He prowls around like a lion, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. When you read 1 Peter 5 8 and you read Nahum chapter 2, he will try, the enemy will try to be, but always fall short of our Lord. He tries to be like him, but he, he, he mimics him. At the best, all he can do is copy him. He's like a lion, but he's never the lion. Assyria thought they were the lions of the land, but the Lord unplugged them and said, no one will fear the city of lions anymore. The lions will be dealt with. Let, let's read some more scripture. Maybe you'll get the revelation here. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 5, it says this. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and the seven seals. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Amos 
chapter 3, verse 8, the prophet Amos says, The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The lion has roared. Revelation 5, 5 says, Behold, the lion, the root of David, has conquered. And Isaiah 31, 4 says this, for thus says the Lord to me, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. The lion of Judah. What about us? What is the promise for us? Well, if he's the lion, then we take on his image. We take on his character. We take on his form. We are his sons. So that makes us what? Proverbs chapter 28, 1 says this. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous, we take on that which our Lord is. See, the enemies are like lions, but we serve the lion of Judah. See, the clusters, these, these cities of lions, no longer need to be feared because the lion has pulled the plug. Verse 13 says this, and I end with this and one more verse in Exodus and we're done. Look at verse 13. He says, Behold, this is the Lord speaking. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord. I will burn your chariots in smoke. The sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth. And the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. The Lord says, Behold, I am against you. The fall of Nineveh silenced, quieted, shut the voice of Assyria forever. I want to pray this right here. I pray that, I pray the fall of your captor silences the voice of your enemy forever. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to to really search deep within. Maybe you don't even have to go so deep. But how many of you have the consistent voice of the enemy that has conquered, that has oppressed, that has tried to scatter you? I want you to open up your heart right there if that's you. Although the Babylonians conquered this great city of Nineveh, the Babylonians, God's going to deal with them eventually in the future. They're nothing. They're just God's instruments. See, Nineveh's greatest enemy, their greatest foe, Nineveh, was no one else but the Lord himself. And I stand here today and I search deep within and I look at those things in my life that are seen as enemies, those things that have risen up that are against the Lord and in times past. And, and I remember that all those things are enemies of God and they don't stand a chance before the Lord. 
It's a reminder that my enemies are God's enemies. My enemies are His enemies and He deals with them. He will silence the voice of that which continues to oppress our lives, conquer our lives, our mind. How many people continue to be conquered in their mind, their hearts, and the Lord says, I'm going to pull the plug. I'm grabbing all those enemies and they become mine. I end with this verse. I love what I love what the Lord tells Moses and the Hebrew people in Exodus 23, verse 22. He says this, But if you are careful to obey, following all my instructions, if you are careful to obey, following all my instructions, look what he says, then I will be an enemy to your enemies hallelujah and I will oppose those who oppose you I'm going to ask you to stand with me and I pray that you are right there where you're at just search deep within look at your very own life what have you recognized what have you seen that the Lord gives a promise today and he says if you just remain if you're careful with your life and if you're careful to be obedient to me if you follow me in all that I command all that I instruct you how many people haven't been hearing the lead of God we haven't been following the instruction of God because maybe we've been drowned by our enemies and the Lord says today, be careful to obey. Be careful to be led in my instruction. And if you do these things, I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies. When he says that phrase, I will be an enemy to your enemies, there's the promise. What does that mean? Everything that has continued to hold me down will no longer have any more victory because it immediately becomes an enemy to my God. He's going to oppose that which opposes us. Lord, maybe as a nation, we've turned to false gods. We call ourselves a Christian nation, maybe. But we're probably the nation that murders the most children. We're probably the nation that says we are a godly nation, but the most godliest of all, maybe. We've turned away from your commands. We've turned away from your word, from your presence. Maybe some have turned to fear, have turned to their fleshful desires, to sin. Some have turned to other lovers, But Lord, you've given them the word today that if they come to the place to just carefully obey you, to truly just follow you in your instructions, and the promise is you become an enemy to our enemies. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that feels like Judah, for so long, I've been living with this constant enemy over me. You know who you are. You could fake it. You could front. You could pretend. You could say everything is good. But maybe there's someone that's here that's listening and says, I feel like Judah. For centuries, I have this constant enemy and oppressor over my life. And I need it to end. Enough is enough. And today you needed to hear the word of the Lord to tell you today, I unplug it. The waters of your enemies will drain out. The power of your enemies will be no more. I leave them empty. And he's calling you, Judah, to just rise up and to fully obey. To fully follow his lead. And that every day of your life, he's going to remind you that he fights for you. And your enemies become his. Become the footstool where he rests his feet upon. How many of you needed to hear that and said, I'm like Judah, man. I'm tired of this captivity or this oppressor, this mindset. Lord, set me free from the enemies. Set me free from the constant heartache. Set me free from this constant mindset. Set me free from that which continues to oppress me. Unplug it with all of its power so that I would fully be filled and live in your wisdom, in your knowledge, in your understanding that you, Lord God, would fight for me, that all my enemies would be no more and be emptied before me and that I would live in the promises of God in obedience, in awe, that the beauty of your wonder would be my all again, Lord, that I would fall before you and never get up again from your presence. Lord, we're like Judah, rip down the temples, rip down the false gods, rip down whatever we've allowed in our land, in our very own personal lives, and that the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be lifted up and that we would be the lions of this land again. Unplug so that our enemies would be yours and that we would live in the victory that Christ has for us. Lord, you know who this is for. And I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would give them hope. I pray that you would give them encouragement and that they would fully see that you stand with them. You stand with them to heal them. That which continuously brings them down, defeats them. That they will come to the place to be the victor. And that they will see that their God fights for them. You sit on your throne and all your enemies are at your feet. And Lord, I just want to bask on your shoulders. I just want to live. I want to live where you are. I want to be where you are. That not one more enemy will come and steal me from the promises that are found in the presence of God. That all those enemies will be left empty. And that I will live. I will live with the one. The one who fills me. The one who fights for me. The one who calls me his. Lord, strengthen your people. Let them rise up during such an evil and wicked day. A days of lies, of corruption, of fear. Days of, of sickness that we would rise up 
and be as bold as lions. We would rise up and take on the promises of God and that we would destroy the foundation of the enemies that have conquered us for so long. We declare it, we believe it, and we speak it as it was spoken to the prophet Nahum many, many years ago, but yet makes so much sense in the days that we're living in today. We thank you for your promises. We thank you because you remain good and your goodness will draw men to you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. It's in Jesus Christ. We pray and we're filled with gratitude. And together we say yes, yes, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hopefully we'll see more of us next Sunday. And for those that will be on Hub Wednesday at 8 p.m., join us on Zoom for our Hub. We'd love to see all of you. God bless all of you. Love you all. Remember, you're loved. Have an awesome week.